0: Right, so a couple of things while we're setting up. Um, I normally um, give this as a four and a half day presentation. So we'll see how it goes. Normally the guys don't mind if I'm out by two hours this way or that way. So I hope there's still enough wine left. Um, and then I've got a couple of old engineering handbooks. Uh, Unfortunately you can't use them for the exam, this is the version 3.2, but if you're interested in having a a fairly good handbook, I'm going to send around a couple of cards. Um, I should probably check what my KC ambassador status is because I just grabbed a couple of my old cards this morning. I sort of ran out of time to prepare cards, but um, write your name on it and we'll put them into a hat and then um, I'll have a draw and three people so if you don't want a book just don't write your name down but if you do want to be in the draw just put it down okay shall we um quickly plug in here well thank you very much everybody for showing up Mm -hmm. you can just send the cards back to the front again and then we'll do the the draw afterwards so um Copyright notices, I'll just quickly skip through this, both on the um, uh, Certification Training International, which is the company that um, I present the uh, CSEP training through, and then some NCOSI material that I used as well. So, looking at the presentation, I'm going to go over a number of things quickly. So, in the beginning, I'm going to sort of just ask, are there any goals, you know, what information are you guys interested in? And I will write that down, and then I'll um, pay special mention to it. But the aim of the presentation is basically to give a broad overview of what certification is, how it works, what to expect, and then to also look at the handbook a little bit. And then at the end, if there's still some time left, I'll um, throw up a couple of... um, um, Examples of uh, questions that you could get. And then we can see you know, if you guys want to, what sort of level of system engineering understanding you have already. So um, basically, what is the goal of NKC or the value of the um, NKC certification? There you go. Um, requirements for the various types of certifications. You can see there's a, a nice folder, um, which is slightly outdated, but I'll get to that. Also, um, what is the process that you will go through and how do you maintain your status? And then I'm going to look at um, what is the exam experience like? And uh, um, also then go into an overview of the Citroen Engineering Handbook, just to give you an idea of what sort of content is included in there. And then look at a couple of sample exam questions, and then if there's anything left to still answer, we can do that afterwards. Right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, um, the sort of goals. Are there anybody here that's looking for specific information? So why, um, why did you decide to come this evening? Um, was it just for the wine or to listen to Suja, see some pictures of the Grand Canyon? <laughs> yes, John.
1: How widely, how widely known is the certification and what kind of impact does it have in, in the world in terms
0: of credence for Okay. Right, I'll go back. Uh, There's uh, a slide a little bit later on which talks about the, um, the amount of uh, um, systems engineers. I'm, uh, um, I'll am i go into the history as well. And you can see sort of, I think it was started in 2004. Uh, what's interesting is in a number of countries, uh, America, for example, they're starting to specify um, projects for requiring at least a registered CSEP on it. Um, people are starting to use it as a discriminator in uh, um, job hunting. Um, so we'll go into those things a little bit later. Any other? Yes? Um,
1: I came because I'm new to registered excerpt in China. So how INCOS can help me get there
0: or. Um okay. I'm uh, need to just mention the, the exam,
1: certification exam at yes, EBS.
0: Perhaps uh, um before I so, so don't forget about it, but you're actually closer to it. So can you perhaps just sort of give a quick overview of that?
1: Part of what we offer at the IMRC <coughs> conference is a free certification exam. Now that exam normally costs you $150, uh, $120. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, The the exam is normally three hours, this one will be three hours because they're trying out new questions for the SE handbook version 4. Which is um, not yet the basis for the certification exam, it's still run on uh, version 3.2.
0: 3.2,
1: yeah, Um, 3.22. So they will compile a whole set of of, uh, test questions for that exam and then uh, based on the results that they obtain with, a, with these trial exams, they run a number of these trial exams, they select the final set of questions for the updated certification uh, exam. So if you write the exam, which is for free, and you pass it, you will be invited to uh, either become an ASIC, which is... Uh, um, um, that will
0: be well. free, if I, I should have brought the, the with me. Mm-hmm.
1: you want to register at CSEP. Uh, initially they didn't want to offer that and we pushed them until they did. You still have to pay this, the, uh, the certification fee for a CSEP if you have the number of years of experience, you can register as CSEP as well based on the results of that free exam. Mm. So you basically save $150 or something.
0: How do you prepare for fees. the exam if the handbook on which they're going to
1: base or for even which
0: they yeah. want to test the questions, it's only being released in January. I'm, no, spoke uh, to, the I'm spoke to Me, if you're yeah. writing, if you say that you're going to write the exam and you're going to register it, they will send you, they'll make the bonus mm. for So you will basically, you will get a couple of early releases of that, which will be distributed to people and then will be handed back afterwards. So you will get you will get a version 4 handbook uh, um, three months before you write the exam. And you'll have to... Remind me, that I'll have a question for you at the end. Okay, 100%. <laughs> right. So, but
1: because the new handbook is published by Wiley, it's strictly controlled, so the paper copy that you get, you have to hand back at the exam. <laughs> and, of course, there will be, there you will know, have some watermark or something. Uh, so. There won't be a, a, a final
0: quality as well. It'll be a rough print. It'll be a rough print. print. So, can you basically a guinea pig. I believe Facebook got into trouble for something like this, but I think it's because they didn't publish their initial conditions up front. <laughs> <laughs> any other questions? I'll uh, answer your question regarding uh, um, the links between this and exile as well. Okay, if there are any other questions as we go along, you're welcome to, to interrupt me and just uh, ask what you want to. So let's talk about the value of ENCOSI certification, and that's actually starting to come towards your question. Um, there isn't a, a solid link between the ENCOSI certification and EXA, uh, EXA being the Engineering Council of South Africa. Um, any Ncosi activities that you do counts towards um, EXA certification. I know we're talking to them about getting systems engineering as a recognized, this is a bit irritating, recognized uh, um, engineering discipline um but for the moment so if you attend any NCOSI meeting and, and any work you do regarding that counts towards your exa credits um but there's not a fixed link between the two so what in certification basically gives you is a as you can see it's an occupational des- designation um, so you're basically being certified by international body that um, you're at a specific level in terms of your knowledge um uh and depending on the type of certification that you have also your experience um it's not uh um it's a formal process it's not a uh, um a uh, certificate which is something you get after uh, get, attending a course it's wider than that at the same time it's uh um also um not something which will prevent you from you know, practicing your engineering but it is a discriminator um, I'll go into a little bit uh, more detail around that later. You can see there's a couple of levels. There's an entry-level associate system engineering professional where you basically just need to show that you have a certain amount of uh, um, knowledge. Then there's the foundation level, which is your certified systems engineering professional, which is for somebody that has done a, a, a bit of systems engineering work and has got five years' experience. And then there's the top level, your um, uh, ESEP, which are basically for very senior people and that has, uh, um, has made a number of contributions in the field. Now I'll go into the different requirements. Let's just quickly look at the background history. Um, you'll see that I um, started with this program in 2001. And then was, CSIP was established in 2004. Uh, 2008 and version 3.1 of the handbook, they tied it to the ISO IEC 15288, which is international standard on systems engineering, one of the standards, but a, a very influential one. And they also created the ASEP um, status, which is the associate in systems engineering, which is your entry level. And they created a, a extension, which was a military acquisition uh, um, exam which you could write in addition and that gave you the extension of military system engineering which is based on the American standard for um, for uh, military systems engineering that's the one which is over here and you'll see that that was um, retired this year so that extension isn't available anymore um, and the EC program 2010 and uh, as you guys said from next year onwards we'll be using the new version of the handbook which is version 3.0 but you have an early chance to get in on the action and um, write the exam using that. I've seen a draft of version 4, I must say I'm, I'm quite excited about, uh, um, about the release of it. But I'll talk about the handbook a little bit later. So what sort of advantages are there for you as a, a, um, a certified systems engineer? Well, the first thing is that you've got a, um, a, f- a formally recognized uh, um, certification from an international body which uh, distinguishes you from other uh, people in your field. What I find with this, which is quite useful, is there are a number of companies across the world which is part of this program. So you can walk into Raytheon or Boeing or any uh, um, Bruce Hamilton, any of the other large organizations, and you'll be using the same language. Um, You'll be able to communicate with them. You'll be able to tie into the way that they do systems engineering. Um, So... It also, um, the last item there, it also uh, helps you to to grow in in your profession. Um, It's the sort of thing where everybody knows, you know, you're supposed to keep up to date and and expand as you go along. But unless there's some incentive like EXA points, which you need to get or CC points, um, people tend to sort of put that in the back burner. I'm going to just flash the card for um, the benefits for your organization as well. They're sort of similar to it. Um, but you can see they're uh, discriminated for proposals. More and more um, areas are recognizing it. Um, and also um, in terms of um, discriminating your organization with regarding the state of the art and also as a um, human resource assessment tool. Just looking quickly at annual growth, here's a, a chart that I did um, basically showing uh, CSEPs, ASEPs and ESEPs per year, um, so in obviously 2014, uh, um, the, the, uh, the stats are out by a couple of months. So you can see it's a fairly good exponential curve. Um, and looking at let's see, Looking at the total growth, um, you can see that, uh, um, that we've got about 2,000 uh, people that has gone through the certification process from around the world. Okay. So let's look at the sort of requirements for the various certification types that you could get so um, if you look at this sheet here you'll see the the um the basic level is your certified systems engineering professional. you need to have a minimum of five years systems engineering experience um, a technical degree um, or enough work experience experience to to augment the lack of a, a technical degree. Uh, you need to find three people, uh, um, peers or supervisors that will vouch for your uh, system engineering capability. And you need to pass an exam, uh, which is based on the handbook. The ASEP requirements, um, basically just need to pass the exam. And then you'll see for the ESEP, uh 25 years experience or 20 if you're a, a Um Also, technical degree, references, and you don't have to... Uh, pass an exam, you need to sit down with a panel of your peers and your betters who will question you and judge whether you're worthy or not. <laughs> so, uh, and there's also a growth path inside in cases, so the aim is that you can start without any experience as a ASIP, and that puts you on, a, um, on an accelerated path towards becoming a CIP, and then you can basically f- uh, follow through with that. Right, so, um, just quickly looking at CSEPs. Uh, five years of experience, uh, more than one year in at least uh, three of the 14 of the following uh, um, discipline disciplines disciplines. Mm-hmm. Sorry? The last, point. Oh, the last point, you need um, at least um, one year in uh, of experience in th- uh, three of the f- uh, following uh, um, 14 categories, and you need to have more than five years in total. Um, you can see it's fairly broad. It's fairly broad here, and there's a lot of you know, there's, there's. even a category right at the bottom, other. So if you're not sure what sort of systems doing you are doing, you can't fit it to any of these. You can put it under the other. Yeah. Well, generally, uh, I uh, yeah, I don't advise people to, to put too much experience under other. You need to be able to justify it. Well, you are talking about you know. System engineering, yeah, I got up this morning and I had a, uh, a need, you know, particular need. I need to, needed to find a breakfast. And so I went, you know, and um, previously I procured certain components and there was an integration exercise and the quality control and the final product. it uh, went through an iteration where I adjusted the amount of milk that I added. So, you know, it's all systems engineering at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, I, I to with a question about
1: how do you argue in that case? Because
0: that's exactly what my office looks like. Whether it's a cup of coffee or whether it's like a whole mm. um, so so how do you what's the experience like when you want to register for CSEC? in making mm. that argument that you've had X years in Y number
1: of fields of those?
0: Mm. Fields? Um, the so the first thing you have to realise is obviously it's in in case it's interest one to um, keep people certified. So they're not, not being difficult about it, but at the same time, they need to protect the value of the certification. If they just allow anybody through, then then it's going to detract from it. How do I make the argument? Is it by, do I write in the jobs? Okay, let me show you. So, what you do is you'll fill in an experience table in your exam, oh, sorry, in your application form, and on that you will have your different, at the top you'll see your different job areas, and underneath you will show how many months of experience do you have in each one of those. Um, and you need to show that um, you've got basically in three of those areas at least a year of experience and in total you need to also show you that you have um, more than five years experience. Some of those things would probably happen in parallel. Yes. So, it, we'll add up so if you want to know what I did when I... When I had to fill in my exam, I basically set up a spreadsheet and I had all my positions. And I said, well, in this position, I probably spent about 50% of my time doing systems engineering. And of that 50%, I spent 20% on requirements engineering and et cetera, et cetera. And then I, I basically just worked it out like that. What they also do is they obviously they cross-check your uh, table of experience against what your references are saying. Um, In my particular case, I initially did everything in years and then I had to convert it back to months. So if you do something similar, just note that it's in months that you need to show your experience. Um, Generally, the guys going through, they're not being difficult about um, experience. Other questions I get are things like, when you submit references, does those people have to be uh, um, certified systems engineers? The answer is no, they don't have to. They don't even have to be systems engineers. They just need to be able to... Um, convince the, uh, um, the evaluation board that you've worked in that position and that you gained the necessary experience. <clears throat> right. So here's some uh, um, guidelines on um, on basically your degree. So you need a, a technical bachelor's degree, uh, um, so either science or engineering um, in one of those fields there. Um, if it's not, and this is the KC Terminology. ABET is the um, Accreditation Board of Engineering and Technology, which is an American body. So if you don't have a, a, an engineering degree from, call it basically a, what we would say in South Africa, a you know, university level, then you can ag- augment your experience uh, um, fr- um, through either five years additional experience uh, or ten years if you've got uh, no degree. Yes. Industrial engineering will be fine. I think it's a, mm. um, so. As I as I said, you know, they uh, um, some of the language. I, so I was laughing about your your story about the um, the workshop, because I went to a, a a workshop in San Francisco quite a few years ago, and in our strategy session, we spent the first hour talking about how we sh- uh, the the American safety laws regarding meetings should be applied to encase in meetings until the British delegation stood up and in, very, uh, um, say, uh, in, in a very strongly worded response, know, expressed that they're not interested in American laws regarding meetings. We should discuss some real strategy. So you'll, <laughs> you'll see some, uh, some American terms here, but this is a program which is running all over the world. So they're quite used to, to dealing with, with various universities and levels. Um, and I'll probably also just you know, contact some of the some of the people in South Africa and ask them. You know, is this is this uh, a good degree or not? Right. Any more questions regarding the level of experience? Yeah, just um, one. Mm-hmm. How recent does the experience have to be? Um, you just you need to prove throughout your uh, um, throughout your career that you've gained a certain amount of experience. So. Um, experience doesn't have to be that recent. Where it does become relevant, and I'll look at your renewal process, is in order to maintain your certification, you need to get a certain amount of credits per year. And obviously, it um, becomes more difficult to get credits if you're not involved in systems engineering, but even you know, in that case, there's ways around it. Right. So, let's look at the process and maintaining of your status. So I've got this diagram here. So basically, what will happen is you start the application by going to the website. Oh, this is a bit too early. Um, see, even my computer is in a rush. Um, so you'll uh, basically uh, go online and you'll fill in an application form and you will pay them. And at that point in time, your certification process starts. And then uh, and this is an example for this for the csep certification. Um ASAP, obviously you will just need to write the exam. in CSCE, there's a whole bunch of things where you would um, you need to get your references, um you need to uh, um, prepare for the exam. Um, so you will basically get uh, um, submit your references and everything else to the application centre, you will and they will notify you once you know once everything is in place, and then you'll write the exam at a parametric uh, test facility. And uh, um, if you pass, then you will have your certification. If you don't pass the exam, you have, um, so you can basically uh, have a year, and you've got three tries, three months apart, to pass the exam. Um, alternatively, and this is a very good option, you go go through a process where you write the exam as soon as you can, and you get the rest of the stuff sorted out. I find it's quite a bit of work to get people to do the references for you. It's just that it sort of it takes... Takes them about, let's say, between an hour and a half, two hours to fill in the form, and you have to work on getting them to, uh, um, to do that for you. So, um, writing the exam is a, is a good first option. Uh, also, of course, I normally uh, um, give this course to people, I give a course and people attend it. And in that particular case, I would say write the exam as soon as you've done the course while the, the knowledge is still fresh. Yes, um, the current costs of the, the exam. You can just quickly look at it. So you can basically see there's your application fee in the first column. That's what you pay in KC. And then you've got your examination and re-examination fees. I'll talk about Prometric a little bit later, um, but that's the test facility which in KC uses. There's one in Cape Town. I think there's even one in Uppington or or Kimberley. They're fairly well distributed. Um, And then you've got an annual renewal fee as well. You can sort of see, you don't have to be a member to to be CSEP certified, um, but it makes good financial sense to be a member. Um, In terms of the length, I'm not going to go into this too much, but uh, um, the fastest I've had somebody go through the process is actually, um, I think about three weeks from start until he obtained it. Um, but quite often it can take up to nine months as well so um, depends a lot on how f- fast you can get your uh, um, can get your references to submit the material uh, <coughs> and then once you've got your certification you need to maintain it so you basically need to get a, a hundred and twenty professional development units um, every five years if you're an ACIP and every three years if you're a CSAP. Um there's a, a form that you can lock your points in and then uh, after three years you need to um, complete a certification uh, renewal form and send it through to them um, with your log. And then um, it basically works on an honor system like most of these things in case you would audit a certain percentage of the applications per year. Um, and uh, they will basically, after receipt of this, if you're not being audited, they will uh, um, just confirm that your, your your certification has been renewed. Now, these are the sort of things that you can get points for. You see, Office just just being an NKC member already nets you five points per year. Um, You can attend um, technical chapter events, presentations, exhibitions, conferences, symposia, um, participate in working groups, um, have a leadership role um, in the organization, um, study counts toward it, um, you can attend courses, tutorials, seminars, teach, write, publish, um, and then receive patent awards, and also just you know, uh, service dedicated uh, um, system engineering leads uh, um, on a project or lead your organization towards a certification program. So, 120 points sounds like a lot, but uh, um, here you can see here's a guy that is uh, um, a member He attended four chapter meetings and two other professional meetings. uh, um, uh, So, uh, um, four per year and two others and one conference. And he attended one training course and he got more than his points. And he's not even doing any systems engineering. So, uh, that answers your question as well. (laughs) Right. um, Let's look at the exam. So... um, as I said, there's a couple of things you need for your certification. If you want to be a CSEP, you need to, um, firstly, sh- uh, firstly, you need to show that you've got enough experience. You need to have certain people vouch for that experience. You also sign a code of ethics regarding systems engineering, and you need to pass the exam. Now, the reason why they've got the exam, part of this is also to standardize. We want to, um, in systems engineering, we want to start using common terminology. We want to move the whole profession Um, to work from the same book and uh, um, for different organizations to be compatible with each other. I think that's long been a a large challenge in systems engineering. We've got various standards. I think the field is still very fragmented. If you look at, for example, a lot of what is being done in, system, in software engineering. If you look at business analysis, you know that's basically that's a system engineering activity. If you look at project management, there's a lot of system engineering involved in it. Um, just inside, you know, the system engineering body itself, military systems engineering versus commercial systems engineering are often you know using different models and uh, um, different terminology. So uh, what they're trying to do is to um, get everybody to use the system engineering handbook and to standardise on the terminology. Um, so you, what you need to pass is you need to write a two-hour exam, 120 multiple-choice questions. Um, and uh, as I said, it's uh, administered electronically at Prometric Test Facilities. They're a big international organization that runs a whole range of different tests. Um, They're very professional, very well-geared. Um, and uh, I already spoke about re-examination. So very important is um, if you do go for certification, you will need to understand the handbook. You'll need to know the terminology and you'll need to be able to pass this exam. This is not based on your experience in systems engineering. It's not based on how well you understand various systems engineering standards around the world. You need to show to them that you can speak the nci systems engineering language. And I think this is basically just what I said. A lot of people fail the exam the first time because they don't understand the handbook. They just sort of go and, and write... Um, now the question that I often get is does that mean I just need to be able to recite the handbook like a parrot Um, I started off this slide saying uh, the handbook is you probably need 50% uh, um, recall and recognition sorry 80% of the book and 20% comprehension but as I continued with this um, it's actually really difficult to pass the exam if you just try and remember the handbook like a parrot and secondly it's not very valuable as you go into your um, go back to your work. So um, a lot of the answers that I passed in the exam was by, uh, based on my understanding of what processes fit in where, what would you do at a particular point in time. So I would say uh, it might even be higher, you know, your comprehension component, I would say it's actually quite high. Um, also, in case it constantly refines the exam and um, they're also working towards making sure that you need to understand what you're busy with and not just be able to to recite the lines so if you write the exam the whole exam is multiple choice Um, and you will have um, both single answer and multiple answer questions so you'd have something that looks like this Uh, what is the aim of the resource management process there's a couple of options and one of um, Either it's a single answer, single answers you know they show in the in the exam very clearly whether it's single answer or multiple answer. Um I mean if you are planning on writing an exam, so like give go into a little bit of the detail. Okay. Right. So you'll write the exam on a computer, um, and you probably won't even need a calculator, but they'll offer you one um if you go for the exam. You're not allowed to take anything in. You basically lock all your stuff outside. um, And then you'll sit down and uh, you'll have a computer interface, which I'll show a little bit later. Um, The exam is really well structured. So you've um, got a list of the questions. You can only select the amount of answers for that question which are valid. You can't select more. If you select less than the amount of questions, it will automatically mark that question as incomplete um you can also mark questions so that you go back to them later so i think in terms of technology and multiple choice it's really well structured so in this case you'll see there's a single answer that you need to select there's typically a throw away you know some uh, um, option that you can easily discard if you're lucky and then one or two detractors which are sort of close to the the answer but not quite right and then in this particular case the correct answer is c <coughs> You can also use these questions to sort of test you as you go along and see how well you'll do. For the test at the end of the year,
1: um, can you write
0: without going to the conference? Um oh, the the IMIASIC? Yes, you mm. Mm. you'll and um, the the exam is will that be sort of at the start of the, the no, conference in your case will it be at the uh, there will be a system <laughs> engineering handbook overview
1: tutorial on Monday, mm. which is a full day tutorial. It's not a replacement
0: I'm guessing if you're going to write the exam, it normally takes about two, three days to read through the handbook. So if you arrive on the Monday and you know, are sort of starting your preparation, you're probably going to be in trouble. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the exam is planned currently for the Thursday morning. So the, the conference is Monday to Wednesday, Thursday, there are some social activities but we, uh, we reckon that I the exam is going to be more
0: important to you than attending the social
1: activities. It mm. matters. Mm.
0: Educational tour to a wine cellar is the social activity. One making system. Okay. Here's an example of a multiple choice question. You'll see the this, this single uh, um, answer questions, have a little circle next to them, and they would, uh, a multiple choice, they'll also say in the, in the name of the question, choose two, choose three. So it's, uh, it's quite quite easy. So what are two inputs to the verification process? And then you need to basically know that these are the two that you need to select. Um, this is sort of a, a reproduction of the of the exam screen When I write the exam, so you see you have a question. It shows you how many um, questions you follow or which question in the sequence it is. Um, It shows you your remaining time. Um, You can go to the previous or the next question. You can mark this question for later review. And then there's also a review button that you can press. And if you press the review button, um, you go to an overview screen where it shows you you know, which questions are still incomplete, uh, which have you marked for later review, you can click on any of those questions and go to that question, um, or you can just look at the marked or incomplete questions. Um, even if you've marked a question, you know, if you've, um, if you've selected the correct amount, or let's say if you've selected the right answer there, it counts towards your total. So um, marking a question is just a flag. You said it doesn't have any influence on whether they assess that question or not. And the other very important thing is it's not marked negatively. So answer all the questions. You know They're not going to, uh, um, to remove marks for incorrect answers. I think we've gone through these items. So um, typical questions I get is which sections in the handbook should I spot? Um, the best uh, um, answer I've, I've seen so far then, based on the experience from a number of people, um, the, the best measure of how many uh, answers you're going to get from a chapter is the amount of pages in the chapter. So <laughs> the questions are fairly evenly distributed. Uh, um, if a, a chapter is more important, they will um, they will uh, assign more pages to it and there will be more questions out of it. <clears throat> what is the pass rate uh, um, and what percentage do I need to, to get in order to pass? Um, this is not like uh, some of our friends in the financial fields where they only, you know, only the top 5 or 10% would pass the exam. There's a physical mark, and if you're higher than that, then you will pass the exam. Um, what Incazi doesn't do is to publish what that mark is. Um, there's a lot of things they keep quite close to their chest around this. Um, I would say, based on my personal experience, probably somewhere between 60 and 75%. Um, and um, the exam is quite difficult it's, it's not easy the, the, the time is not such a big effort you know, uh, um, you've got a minute per question so provided you don't spend too much time most people tell me listen, I've, you know, I had to move I had one guy that sort of ran out of time of everybody that has that attended my course and written the exam most of the other people say there's enough time to go through and then still do some review um, but the questions are quite difficult, and you have to—you know, you need to concentrate and read through them. Um, right. And then the other thing is, do they supply feedback on the exam? Um, up until recently, no, they didn't. You would basically write the exam, and then afterwards, it would just tell you you've passed or you failed. Uh, but um, Of Late in KC has um, changed that, so that it basically. Lists the uh, um, the sections of the handbook, and it tells you whether you're proficient, marginal, or deficient in that section, it so d- that. It doesn't give you a mark. There. No, it doesn't. Mm. Um, but obviously, in this case, you, so you need to you know, uh, um, in any section you're deficient in. Obviously, that's that's an area you need to focus on. And marginal <coughs> ones, you can still improve. Is the feedback something that you
1: take home, or is it
0: something that you feel That of? I'm not sure about. I can. I'll. Uh, um, let me just check afterwards, guess, and I'll tell you. Project, mm. I would guess so. so they have there. They yes, they do have printers. Have printers. And mm-hmm. and now, so like a land. Mm. And then, so, so mm-hmm. if if you go to ProMetric, um, that basically there's a you know, you'll check up it's checking in the in the. Um, Uh, at at reception they'll take you through the rules you'll sign a code of ethics and you go up to the computer room there's a number of lockers you get a a lock and a key for your locker and then they'll load your exam onto the pc and you go and you sit down at the pc um you're allowed to leave the room um go to the bathroom but your timer continues so um yes um I've got a whole range of, of practical tips on, on how to write the exam as well and uh, how to answer multiple choice questions. I haven't gone into them in too much detail uh, um, for, time, for time reasons, but yeah, we, I can go into that if you want to. Um, if you pass the exam, they give you a certificate. You, know, you come out and they congratulate you and you get a certificate from them as well showing that you've passed the exam, but they also forward your results to InCoSi, So it makes sense for me that, that you'd be able to get your, uh, your feedback right let's look at the handbook um, just looking at the time how are we for time hundred mm-hmm. percent right i'm not going to go into the system engineering handbook in too much detail but it was uh, first the first draft was in ninety uh, four by forty seven uh, volunteers it's not yeah, you know, it's not a, uh, a book which was paid writers it's a labor of love from a group of systems engineers um, and it's had a lot of people collaborate on it over the years. Um, some of the earlier versions were quite interesting. Um, even the version I write my initial exam on still had you know, some discrepancies between. So I write an exam on a version which had 180 pages in the book and then another 180 pages in appendixes. Which also counted for the exam, and which had different terminology and different things. They fixed all of those things. I'm very, um, I'm very happy with the latest version of the handbook, and I think version four is just going to be better still. But uh, version 3.22, which we currently use for the exam, it's a good resource to use, um, and um, I've um, I've consulted often and I've used it in a number of situations. The handbook is very broad, um, so. Uh, it's interesting in, in that it basically it talks about all the areas in which systems engineering are involved. I'll go through them just now. Um, and then in some aspects, it actually goes down into very practical, low-level detail regarding how to do things. Um, so it covers a wide scope. Um, and um, it's a challenge with any any book like that where, uh, where you've got such a wide scope here. Which areas do you focus on and which do you... Um, which do you leave out I think a lot of the handbook is still very much focused on I would say traditional systems engineering so you get to some of the sections um, like um, for example the business processes and they would sort of you know they'll have a section on it and at the end instead of elaborating on it they will say we know we still need to write something about this and we will do so in a future version which is also more incentive to now write the exam, you know. Before they add all those sections, you've got more pages to write them. So looking at it, um, but the book basically starts with a system engineering overview um, and uh, talks about the definition of systems engineering. I'll, I'll look at those things a little bit uh, just after this slide. Then there's a whole section on generic life cycle stages, and then it goes into the different processes. Um, and the bulk of the book uh, focuses on the largest section is the technical processes, which is what I uh, often say a lot of people think of as systems engineering. So uh, talking about requirements definition, analysis, architectural design, implementation, integration, etc. Um, and then the other section they look at is the I 'm going the wrong way project processes. Um, not so much from a project management viewpoint, but from the system engineering viewpoint where you need to maintain technical integrity and you need to drive the project processes regarding the development of the system. Um, Then there's a um, section on agreement processes, basically your acquisition and supply process, so going outside the boundaries of your organization. And then the last thing is... um, What is the role of systems engineering in the organizational project enabling processes? So if you look at things like managing your lifecycle model or um, infrastructure or human resources or quality, I'm quite excited about this because uh, these are areas where systems engineering has a very important role to play and uh, a lot of systems engineers end up in these positions. Um, So it's good to see that the handbook covers these things as well. And then there's a section on tailoring, uh, which is very important. It's actually the first section I start with in my course. Um, <clears throat> and then lastly, a whole section on speciality engineering fields, which I'll discuss in my slides a little bit later. So just looking at some of the sections, if you look at the um, first section in terms of your overview, I spoke about the different definitions of systems engineering, looking at things like a system of system of systems looking at the use of systems engineering this is by the way a really useful graph i don't know how many of you've seen it but basically it shows you how your project cost would increase over your different life cycle stages of a project but at the same time your influence over the total cost of the project or your committed cost um, decreases inversely so by the time and this is based on uh, um, actual numbers from a l- range of projects, both large and small. Um, you typically uh, um, spend 8% of your project budget during your concept stage, but you allocate 70% of your costs. So there's only, you, know, you can only vary the cost of the final product by about 30% once you've gone through that stage, which basically just shows you how important it is to do good, solid design up front. Um, this also shows you the um, cost of fixing a defect in any of these stages, where once you're into production and testing, it can cost a thousand times as much to fix a defect as it would do during the concept stage. Um, this, by the way, is a really good graph if you need to explain the value of systems engineering to a manager or somebody in a business. <clears throat> um, and then uh, the next section uh, talks about lifecycle stages. Um, what are your life cycle aspects on a project? Uh, talks about decision gates as you go along um, goes into the trusted v model as one of the models you can look at um, then there's a very good section on uh, life cycle approaches so do you use plan driven type approach in a traditional waterfall or v do you use an incremental or iterative type of development They look specifically at lean development uh, um, Principles in systems engineering, this of course comes from the um, Toyota lean manufacturing work that they've done. And there's a, a whole working group in NKC which focuses on translating lean principles into systems engineering. That's also a really a useful section and can be applied to whatever type of project you work on. Um, agile development, um, which is another very hot topic and which has uh, um, also got a very good overall in, section, uh, in version 4 of the handbook which is now coming out. So basically, what is the best approach to follow in which situation <laughs> um, <coughs> here's some of the uh, um the, the sections on on your lean principles a um, little bit about agile got a couple of really interesting case studies at the um at the end of that section looking at the thera twenty five which was a um a, a medical uh, treatment device which used radioactivity to treat cancer, and uh, they were really successful on the th- uh, first, uh, on the number of earlier models, and then the therac 25 came out, and uh, over a couple of years it killed a few people and um, basically caused massive damage to the organization as you can imagine, uh, which just shows perspective as well because I gave this uh, um, case study to a group of military engineers. The one guy said so basically you had 100 uh, Thousands of people, or tens to hundreds of thousands of people, being using this device, and only six were killed. You know, in the military environment, those are pretty good odds. <laughs> anyway, medical environment, not so good. Um, another really interesting case study is looking at the at the Öresund Bridge between Sweden and Denmark, which is a this is a really impressive project. Uh, um, so looking at how they pulled this off, how they basically, within a couple of years, they built this really complicated bridge. They got a whole group of env- environmental uh, and focus group and pressure groups on their side. Um, both the Danish and the, the Swedish uh, populations were really happy with the project. Uh, everybody congratulated the politicians. The um, question is, how did they do that? And uh, um, then another interesting case study is the Shanghai uh, MacLev. Um, rapid train line um, which is another type of, of project and not as successful as the previous one but um, successful within the bounds of the, the the type of project that they wanted to do. Then the next section goes into the technical processes um, and this is where the sort of the standard form of the book comes in uh, based on ISO 15288 um, where you will have in every... St- Every process will basically have a purpose description. There will be a context diagram showing you what the inputs are, the activities, controls, enablers, and outputs. Um, at the end of that section, there will be common approaches and tips for this process. And then after that, there will be an elaboration section where they take that process and you know, give you additional uh, um, tools and methods you can use to explain various concepts. In this case, for example, um, how do you, what are the steps for doing uh, requirements definition elaboration with your stakeholders, Um, guidance around defining your needs, how to capture source requirements, how to initialize requirements database, um, whole uh, section on uh, establishing concepts of operations and and in fact the different concept documents that you use as you sit with um, your stakeholders to help them understand their needs. and then uh, generating your um, draft system requirements document as the output of that particular stage. They also go into various tools like your quality functional deployment diagram or your house of quality, explaining how to use the tools. Uh, Besides uh, explaining how to use the tools, there's actually an immense amount of tools that I just mentioned in the book. You don't physically have to know... um, how the tool works, but if you're confronted with that process, you need tools you can go to Wikipedia or any of the other number of other resources and you can find out what the tool is and how to make use of it. Some cross-cutting technical methods at the end of that section, like for example, modeling simulation and prototyping, which is used in multiple processes, functions-based system engineering methods, uh, um, and also your object oriented systems engineering modeling and SysML L. Uh, as additional tools you can use. Then going into your project processes, um, you can see project planning, project assessment and control, decision management, risk management, configuration management, information management, and measurement um, with a range of sections talking about how to use um, cross-functional teams uh, very effectively in your organization. some good uh, um, guidance on how to run uh, high-performance cross-functional teams. Um, Looking at trade studies, risk management concepts. Um, Next section, agreement processes. uh, It's basically how do you manage a supply process, how do you manage an acquisition process. Um, And then your organizational project enabling processes as well. Like how do you uh, do project portfolio management, for example. Also looking, uh, so basically, uh, once you get to the top level of your organization, how do you need to run this organization? Last section, as I mentioned, uh, uh, on tailoring and how do you find the optimum level, what are the sort of principles? Tailoring is also always, for me, a difficult thing because normally at the point where you need to start tailoring, you don't have enough experience to do that. So it's one of those difficult things. It's a catch-22 situation. And in the last section of the handbook, I have a whole range of specialty engineering activities. And these are things which um, systems engineers are quite often confronted with, um, but it's being done by specialists in the field. Um, electromagnetic compatibility analysis, for example, um, or cost-effective analysis, uh, mass property engineering analysis. These are things you might not necessarily need on all of your projects, but you will need to um, collaborate with experts in the field on projects, um, and then there's basic information on how to do that, what it's about and what you need to be aware of. <coughs> That's basically my um, my very quick overview of the handbook. Any other questions regarding that? Sorry, no, you did say that is this an overview of the current 3.2.2. Yes, this is version 3.2.2. Yeah. Structure uh, version four is going to be um, the structure is going to be very much the same. Um, there's a couple of things. So for example, they added a fourth case study, and they've expanded on um, on iterative uh, development as well as agile. Um, there's a couple of sections which uh, which they have expanded uh, and provided additional information, but um, it's not as though they've changed. Let, let's say uh, let's say I would guess about. Ten percent in terms of change is probably le- um, less than that so the majority of it is still going to be the same there's also uh, um, what they normally they have a crossover period with exams normally so you can start by using the new book uh, and or you can still write to the old one for a certain period so they phase it phase it out gradually um, are anybody here interested in looking at some of the exam? Oh, let's say not the actual exam questions because I don't publish those, but some examples of the sort of questions you could expect. So we, um, in the time, let's look at some exam questions. Sort of leaves people, one of those two states. <laughs> um, right. So this is a very typical question. Comes from section one, um, and this is just a, a recall. Question, which of the following three are valid definitions for systems engineering? Or as I normally tell my people, which one is the odd one out? Quite often for me it's easier to throw a question or throw an option out than it is to sort of select the, the correct three. Does anybody want to warrant a guess as to which one should be thrown out? This is a bit of a tricky question if you don't know the handbook. Be. that's right um, um if i do my course normally we um, we have quite a, a number of interesting discussions as to how to recognize which one should be thrown out um and um if you are going to write the exam with, worthwhile to go and read up a little bit on uh, uh, um techniques for answering multiple choice questions um i certainly didn't do a lot of multiple choice in my university <coughs> career um And the test can be quite stressful. Um, I think, Alvin, you can tell a good story about, you know, testing, stressful as well, you know. Having to take off from work and everybody knows you're going to write the exam and you run the risk of coming back the next day and telling them, listen, you know, I failed. I was much more clever than that.
1: I went to write it in secret.
0: (laughs) Uh. Because, I
1: if I wasn't going to make it, nobody would know about
0: it. Yeah, you probably don't want that to sort of leak out. (laughs) Right, here's another one. Which of the following are challenges related to the development of a system of systems? And this is also another, um, fairly straight out of the the book. Now, if uh, um, if you've read through that section, you will notice that, well, firstly, item E doesn't really make sense. Item B is actually switched the wrong way around. If you look at complex systems, the management complexity often overshadows the engineering complexity. Um, that worked on, anybody that's worked on a large project with um, various stakeholders and multiple companies and different standards and different products in different states of completeness um, would know that that becomes a really big problem. Um, so I've got a couple of questions here still. But um, I think if you guys want to, we can go, go through a couple more still. But um, it's basically, I think the, the important thing is if you understand the handbook, uh, a lot of these questions make sense. Um, you need to spend enough time with the handbook that you can actually you understand the language, you know what the principles are behind it. And then once you've done that, you can very successfully tie your existing systems engineering knowledge into what the handbook says, and basically it, it makes sense. Um, what I do recommend to people is, um, do you studying and go and write the exam? Don't wait too long, because there are still a number of, of uh, um, organizations that follow different principles or different terminology, and it's easy to, to get confused along the way um, as you're waiting to write the exam. Right. Um, I've got a whole bunch of questions. Like I said, this is actually a much longer course. Um, do we have cards here? Are there any other questions that people would like to ask? I'll be available as well if you don't want to. Say it in the big forum. Yes, Suja. Um, if you don't have an opportunity to... Um Thanks. Um, after the after attending the course? No, attend the course. Um, that's difficult for me from practical experience because I also attended the course mm. um, and I spent a couple of days afterwards just getting ready. Um, so, normally what I say to people if they do attend the course, I recommend that they read through the handbook at least once. Um, and uh, then I give a couple of sets of you know, 60 exam questions. So read through the handbook, um, and I give a structure and, you know, or a suggestion on how you could do that. Write the test questions that I've supplied, focus on the areas you don't know, and then there's a second test that you can write if you want to. And uh, after that, they basically I think, I had, out of everybody that attended my, uh, attended my course, I had two people that failed. And one of the guys actually lost his father in the previous week, so that doesn't really count. Um, but I would say it's, it's, you need to understand the handbook, and you've seen the, the size of the handbook, so it's, you know, it's, it's quite a bit of work that you need to, to put in to do that, a couple of days at least. I was the first one in South Africa to write the exam. That's right. Mm. I started the month before the exam. Early now. That's actually thank you for, for giving yeah, for your input.
1: For mm. Work through it in detail, make sure you understand what they say. I did not try to memorize this stuff because it's too much in any case. But uh I mm. know the tips is um w uh, wh- uh wherever they have a list of things, that's a good candidate for a multiple choice
0: question. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is a very good suggestion. I was, um, I was the number two, but I was fortunate I, um, I attended. Uh, um, there's a guy in the US, Eric Honor, that gives a two day course. Um, and that sort of gave me a foundation to start from. That's why I run mine in secret. Um. <laughs> That's right. Yes, John Clark. Although I must say, I, I listened to their webinar series and You've got a, a lot of people uh, listening to it, and then somebody you know forgets his mic on, and then I don't know if they fixed that issue. <laughs> and then you know there's a phone. It's always there's you know, somebody you know. It's, so John is talking, and then phone rings somewhere, and somebody starts talking on the phone. And <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> Any other questions? Thank you very much for attending. Um, I'll make my de- my details available as well. And if anybody's got any questions or I can help with anything, please contact me. I'll be happy to do that.
1: Thanks
0: very much. Thank Not you very much. very much. Thank you. Yes.